If you will turn to Colossians. We are in a study of Colossians. We have called Unrivaled, and today uh, we come to a close. We close the book of Colossians. We will finish Colossians. And I, I thought about it this week. That, that is, I have enjoyed, I have um, enjoyed this study of Colossians, of studying it week after week now for a few months, and it has become one of my, one of my favorite books, just seeing it. In a, in a fresh new way, you know. Sometimes you think you have a handle on a book, and then you study it, and God opens your eyes to the to the reality that His Word is indeed living and active, and it's sharper of of truths that were there that maybe just had been missed and 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 overlooked. And we will be in verses seven through eighteen today. And last week we looked at a very practical. Uh, application, if you will, of verses 5 and 6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, that you will know how you respond to each person. And, and we talked about that in light of what we saw happening a few Wednesdays ago at a, at a school in South Florida. And and we, we answered the questions, you know, is God good in the midst of tragedy? Is God good when it seems our prayers are not being answered, when it seems evil is triumphing? And uh, we did that through looking at a study of Habakkuk. And uh, Habakkuk really struggled with two things. Why wasn't God answering his prayers? And why did it seem that he was surrounded by evil and that evil was winning, that evil was triumphing. And, and I think if we're honest, we've all been there. God, why are you not answering our prayers? And, and why does it seem uh, like evil is winning? You go to Psalm 73, just for instance, with Asaph. There's tons of, there's tons of psalms where the psalmist is crying out. It, it seems as if evil is winning. And it's interesting, in, in chapter 1, verse 5 of Habakkuk, God answers Habakkuk's first question of, you know, why, why are you not answering my prayers? And God says this, if I told you, if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't even be able to comprehend it. And think about that. God says, look, if I, if I told you, even if, even if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't be able to comprehend it. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, His ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And even in the midst, even in the midst of Israel's great sin, even in the midst of, of God uh, disciplining them through the Chaldeans, through the Babylonians coming in and, and devastating them, God says, this is not happening out of control. I'm in control. And, and then to the, to the idea that evil seemed to be triumphing, God answered that question as well. Israel was getting the, the judgment, the discipline for their sin. There were consequences for God's people sinning. And we looked at that idolatry. In chapter 2, verses 6 through 18, he shows idolatry. He shows the mistreatment of of individuals. He shows how they were taking advantage of, of people through different financial means and, and, and all kinds of things. And what, what he shows is that, look, evil was not winning. God, God was, again, allowing the, the, again, Galatians 6, 9, God is not, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he reaps. And, and there's, some, there's some things about God, there's some characteristics about God that are true, but they don't really sometimes jive with the way that we see God, and, and that's unfortunate. God is full of love. He definitely is loving. He's definitely merciful. He's certainly gracious. But listen to me, He also has wrath. He also has a hatred towards sin. And just a fierce hatred towards sin. And those are, those are parts of his perfection. You, you don't want a God that doesn't hate sin. Listen to me, you do not want a God that doesn't hate sin. And Habakkuk deals with that, and, and he closes with 
we, we, we gave a couple of real practical things. Number one, we've got to wait. He, he makes it very clear to Habakkuk, listen, though the vision tarries, chapter, th- chapter 2, wait. Wait for it. Wait for it. Second thing, he said, and that was really chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. In verse 4, he, 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 he sums it up, and so Christians have to wait. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says, the righteous shall live by faith. Listen, we don't live by answers. We live by faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17, the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews 10, 38, the righteous shall live by faith. Galatians 3, the righteous shall live by faith. I mean, that really, that statement really sums up in many regards the word. We live by faith. And then he closes in verses 16 and 17 of Habakkuk. Though, the fig, though there the fig tree does not blossom, though there be no fruit on the vine, Though no grapes in the vineyard, no, no, no animals in the stall. Listen to what Habakkuk says. He says, yet I will exult in the God of my salvation. That's the answer. It's not answers. We worship God for who He is. And absolutely God is good in the midst of what we've seen. And, and we talked about a lot more, but... That, that's what it looks like. We need to have biblical answers. We, we need to conduct ourselves. That's what it looks like to conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. This is 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. We, we ought to be able to give a defense. We ought to be able to give reasons. For why we live the way we live. That's what it looks like to conduct ourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. In Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, Paul says the same thing. He says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? He says, for the days are evil. Be careful. Literally, the word picture there, the word picture there is, is like that of a landmine. If, 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 I, if I was tasked with walking from here to those double doors and you said there were landmines all in this aisle, how would you walk? You'd walk carefully. You'd walk mindfully. You wouldn't just aimlessly walk down the aisle. You, you'd make sure that every step was calculated and planned. That's the picture of how we as believers are to walk in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation, carefully. Listen, there's so much application to that. Movies, TV shows, clothes, what we read, what we listen to. Be careful. The days are evil. This world is evil. Be careful. And not only for our own sake, but but again, think collectively for the testimony of the body's sake. And that's really even transitioning into what we see today. What we see today in verses 7 through 18. And, I, and I'll be honest, when I, I was in some ways dreading this section, I'm like, how in the world do you preach this? Just a bunch of names and a bunch of... Eh, nah, nah. But, but as I studied it, as I actually took my, my selfish, you know, sinful whatever I gate off and really dug in, I, I see what Paul is saying. And I see the implications of what he's saying. I see the greatness of what he's saying. It's rich. And the reality is this. You and I are better together. In spite of all of our differences, in spite of all of our different viewpoints, we're better together. The, the body is stronger the way that God designed it. Listen to me. United, not, un, not, we, are not we are not built the same. We have unity amongst diversity. What you and I want oftentimes is uniformity. Listen, it ain't going to happen, nor should it happen. You, you shouldn't probably have my viewpoint on every single thing. Why? Because there are still areas of my life that I'm working out. We think we want uniformity. What we really need is unity. 
is being around people that are different than us, that don't think like us, that don't act like us, and yet are sold out to the gospel. Sold out to Jesus Christ. And what we see here is, is a focus on friendships. What we see here is, listen, Paul gets all the praise, but there were a ton of people that worked alongside Paul, that worked in the shadows of Paul, that made everything that Paul did possible. And that's the beauty of what I began to see here in this passage. A few people, Paul got, the, Paul got all the praise, Paul got all the limelight, Paul got all the notoriety, and yet he was very quick to make it very clear that there's a ton of people that are working behind the scenes, that are do, playing their role, that are glorifying God, that God is using just as much as Paul and needed in order for Paul to do what Paul does. And, and that's the same, same in your life and my life. We need each other. I, I, I mean, I was, I was studying this and just the idea that this kind of individual walk with the Lord is really a, a recent phenomenon. It's really post-printing press. We were meant to walk together. We, we were meant to study the Scriptures together. We were meant to do life together. We were meant to... to we were meant to open up the word together. Why? Because that if, if, if Lee says one thing and 48 other people say the scriptures say another thing, that's good for Lee. It may be good for the other 48. But we were meant to do it together. But, but if, if I'm off studying or Lee's off studying or if you're off studying scripture by yourself and not in community, you can get sidetracked real quick. That's how heresies come about. That's how false teachings come about when you, when you isolate yourself. And Paul makes it very clear, we were meant to do this together. We were, admit, we were meant to advance the gospel together. We're better together. And, and friendships matter. How, how we conduct ourselves amongst each other, how we love one another, how we live with one another, how we're gracious with one another, how we forgive one another, it matters. And again, this is part of what he's saying. Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. We need each other. It's why, it's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 24, Do not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of such, but, is, but encourage one another as long as it is called today. We need each other. And, and, and so, Paul, I want to ask ourselves some questions, and you see them on your handout, because I think Paul gives us a glimpse of what gospel-centered friendships should look like. Gospel-centered friendships. I think that's what we see here, a community of, of fellow workers, a community of co-workers, intent on one thing, advancing the gospel intent on one thing, making much of the gospel. That, that was the center of these, of these friendships, living in light of the gospel, helping one another live in light of the gospel, in light of who they were in Christ, in light of what they've been given. Even Verse 17, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. That, that's why we need each other. So when we fall down, there's somebody to pick us up and say, keep going, keep going. Let's fulfill the ministry you've been given. Fulfill the, fulfill the task you've been given. Not individually, corporately. And, and, and even a, a church that is submitting even their friendships, submitting even their friendships to the Lordship of Christ. That Christ would be Lord and supreme and sovereign over even friendships. And, and again, understanding that we need each other if we're to accomplish what God has for us. And so you'll see on your handout the main point, even our friendships must be centered upon the supremacy of Christ and our gospel-centered mission. We, we exist for the advance of the gospel. And... and We'll break the passage down in chunks, so I won't, I won't read it 7 through 18. We're going to read it together. But in Paul's letters, 
It's very clear that he had a lot of friends. It's, in Paul's letters, it's very clear that he had a huge supporting cast, if you will. If you were to read Romans 16, Paul mentions 33 friendships. 33 friendships that helped him do what he did and go through what he did. That while, while they were with him in Rome, while he was in prison, and he greeted... He, Paul even does something that w- would almost be unheard of today. Paul mentions people from other churches. Take, think about that. He wasn't in competition with them. He wasn't envious of them. He mentions them. He talks about them. Again, you see the corporate, you see the corporate nature in the body of Christ. And, and the, the one thing that brought all these relationships together was Christ. The, the one thing that brought all this gospel, to, all these things together, it was the gospel. That was what they shared in common. Listen, the, the last two weeks, it, 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 trust me, there's a lot we don't share in common. But there are some core things that we do share in common, and that's what unites us. Our attitudes about these other things. Listen, you can work that out in the gospel. We're never going to agree on some of those things. But here's what we can agree on. Jesus Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the lordship of Jesus Christ, the one that He is the one and only way that a person is, is reconciled to God, that, that, is, that receives righteousness that's required, imputed righteousness. They had been saved by the gospel, and that's what energized them. Were they different? Yeah, they were different. And yet they were, they were together on the gospel. God in His design has made us social, uh, communal people. Again, he, all the way back to the garden, He made Adam a what? A helper. You can go to Ecclesiastes 4, 9-11. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down... His friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Proverbs 13, 20, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 27, 17, Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We need each other. Paul needed co-workers, Paul was, and he was okay with that. He needed others, and, and as a result of the gospel, Paul developed many friendships, all centered, but they were centered on the advancement of the gospel. They, they set their egos aside. You go to 1 Corinthians 3, some worship Apollo, some Paul, some this, and Paul basically says, who cares? It's Christ. It's Christ. We're fellow laborers. We're co-laborers. It's Christ. And so as, as I studied this week and bringing it to the pulpit, I, I want us to ask ourselves some questions about our friendships. Do, 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 do our friendships with other Christians, as we look at these characteristics that we see here, ask yourself, do, do your friendships with other Christians reflect these characteristics? Do, do your lives... Do my, does my life, does your, does your life, does, your, does our lives communally as a body here in Odessa, do our lives reflect a gospel-centered approach? Are, are we marked, are our relationship marked by the characteristics that marked Paul's life with his friends? R- a really practical, but, but I think a, a very circumspect view here. And look, look at verse 7 through 9. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our brother, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. I think the first thing we see and the first mark of our friendships is this. Gospel-centered friendships see fellow believers as family. Family. We're not in competition. We're not in isolation. 
They're not indispensable. They're family. Look at look at he says, beloved brother, faithful servant, fellow bondservant. Onesimus, faithful, beloved brother. Paul, Paul, again, he related to these fellow workers. He related to other Christians. He saw other Christians as family. They were family. They, they, they shared Paul's circumstances while he was in prison. They encouraged the hearts of the other saints. They went through, listen, they went through whatever Paul went through. You see this in Romans 13. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's the body. You know, all week I've been texting back and forth with, with Roger Martin. He's in, the, in Indiana. His mom died last night, passed away last night. All week. That's my brother. That's your brother. We, it ought to matter. All week, texting back and forth, seeing him go through the, the agony of what he was going through with his mom. You, you guys, many of you are going through the same things. No one, no one in the body of Christ should go through something alone. We're family. Even Paul's imprisonment. You know what he's saying? I didn't go through my imprisonment alone. We'll see it in a minute. Many departed him, but yet a few stuck with him. And, and these are not surface level, again, these aren't surface level associations. These are real friendships. The, these aren't simply, I don't mean to be funny, but listen, this ain't liking somebody's post on Facebook. That doesn't make you a friend. Having 400,000 followers on Twitter or whatever, those aren't friends. Call on them when you need, when you need a meal. Call on them when you need something. They there? That's what, that's what Paul is talking about here. Paul's in prison, and these people are by his side. Read the book of Philippians. That would have been humiliating for them. Humiliating for them to follow a man who's in prison, and yet they stuck by Paul and served Paul. They were willing to share. They were willing to get dirty with each other. Why? Because they had a common goal. The common goal was the advancement of the gospel. I mean, Paul, Jesus himself in, in Mark 3, they said, here's your mother and your brother. He says, who are, my, who are my mother and my brother? Whoever does the will of God is my mother and my brother and my sister. This is my family. And, and Jesus Christ, he's, he's helping us to see and he saw that, that our relationships in the gospel, our relationships in Christ, our relationships, again, with people who were obedient to God were closer than even family ties. I spend more time with you guys than I do my own mother and father. And throughout the world, again, you see, throughout the word rather, you see family language used. Listen, gospel friendships should be seen as family relationships. Family, not just acquaintances. Family. And, and understanding that that's the way it was meant to be in Mark 10 29 and 30, what you see here is really is a blessing. Look around you. This is meant to be a blessing of the gospel. These other men and women, boys and girls in this room, are meant to be seen as family because that's, that's part of the blessing of the gospel. In Mark 10, he says, I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and in the age to come. Here's what Christ is telling us. that the, He's telling the disciples, He's telling you and I, that new family members are the reward of leaving everything you have for the gospel. You gain new family members. As they went from town to town to town to town, other believers led them in their home and fed them and clothed them and took care of them. They did exactly what their family would have done. It's a picture of you and I. Of family. The reward was new family. 
those who take up the cost of faithfully furthering the gospel and, and, and God's kingdom, he's saying you will receive new intimate relationships and that will be part of your reward. New family members will open up your home. New moms will clothe you and feed you and care for you. It's a reward of gospel ministry. It was Paul's reward. He called them dear brothers. I remember back in the, hur- in the hurricane, people were opening up their homes to other members. That's what it ought to be. The church ought to look like that. That shouldn't be a rare thing. That ought to be the norm. Looking after one another. Co-laborers. We're not, we're not in competition. We have one mission. All of us share a mission to advance the kingdom of God through the gospel. We're not enemies. And, and, and again, even in Ephesians chapter 4, many parts, many parts, one goal, the building up, the edification of the saints to maturity so that they're not tossed around by every wind and wave and trick doctrine. Lots of different gifts, lots of different abilities, one goal, spiritual maturity, spiritual development. And we need each other. I lack in so many areas that you are gifted. You lack in some areas that that I might be gifted. We need each other. You know, my right arm has functions that my left arm doesn't. You know, my foot, my what? That's why the body is the the, the body of believers is pictured as a body. He's gifted all of us to need each other. We need each other. So, so the question I ask here is: Is the church like a family to you? Do, do you see other believers as brothers and sisters? H- how do you think it affects how we serve one another when we don't see each other rightly as a brother and a sister? I, I grew up as an only child. You, you, you're the only brothers and sisters I'll ever have. But I need you. And, and you need me. And we need each other, and we, we have to see each other as a family. Listen, that's why, that's why we do Fellowship 3. That's why every quarter we're putting you in homes with two or three other couples. Or, or, look, so you'll learn to get along. So you'll learn to love one another. I'm not saying, look, some groups are going to get along better than others. I get that. But listen, it's good for you to learn to love people who are different than you. It's good for you to get to know other believers in this body. We need it. I've had dinner over the last five years with people I probably never would have had dinner with. Built relationships with people in that one or two hours that are are far more advanced today because of those dinners than they would have otherwise. There's a purpose behind Fellowship 3. If you're not involved in Fellowship 3, raise your hand, Tom. Tom coordinates it. He plans it. He's got this master spreadsheet that I can't interpret. Sends out all, you ought to be involved. For, listen, not only for your good, but for the good of this body. We're stronger when, when, we're, we're stronger when we know each other, when we know about each other, when we can serve one another. We're stronger that way. Not, not 300 individual, mutually exclusive people running around doing their own thing. No, 300 people that are bound and bonded by the gospel, who are learning to love people who are different than them. The world sees that. That, that's conducting ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. That's making most of every opportunity. That's being careful how we walk. That's with our speech. Why, why? Listen, why, the why is the gospel. The gospel. Once a quarter, you're in somebody else's home with two or three other couples. I, I believe God's glorified by that. I believe the relationships here at Odessa are strengthened by that. I believe you as an individual believer are sharpened by that. I mean, these are your brothers and your sisters. These are people who are going to one day maybe act like your mom and love you and care for you and feed you. 
And this really is a this really is something that spend time with Esther and Agnes and David and Akeen and 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 and, and talk about the Nigerian culture that they come from. They see this here. They experience this here. They they experience one another, treat one another as family. Our culture in America fights this with this individualistic mindset. I mean, think about this. When's the last time anybody opened up their home for people? Family. Gospel-centered friendships are like family. And Paul makes that very clear in verses 7 through 9. But, but, but gospel-centered friendships are willing to suffer and bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. And that ties in with family. But look at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes with you, welcome him. I mean, Paul, Paul says that Aristarchus was a fellow prisoner. I, I don't think that this means that he was in prison as Paul was. I think it means that he had chosen to partner with Paul and to care for Paul while Paul was in prison. He made Paul's imprisonment his imprisonment. He was bearing Paul's burden. He was carrying his burdens while he was in prison. Many people, again, had abandoned Paul in his circumstances. And yet this man stood by his side. And, and, and you know, ask yourself the question, do, do we stick by one another in thick and thin? How, how easy do we bail on one another? Ask yourself this, whose burdens are you bearing right now? Can you name people that you're bearing, that you know what they're going through and you're going through it with them? Can you name anyone right now that you're dirt, that you have their dirt on you? People have slung mud at them, have, have, have crushed them, and you bear the dirt that was for somebody else. You bear it on your walk. That was Aristarchus. They slung mud at Paul, and you know what? Aristarchus stood there in front of him and he took it. And while Paul was in prison, again, you look, go to Philippians 1. People were preaching the gospel out of false motives. They were taking advantage of Paul's circumstances. And you know what Paul says? He says, who cares as long as the gospel is preached? Interesting. Go read Philippians 1.18. He says, who cares? Listen, you can say whatever you want. That's what he's saying. You can say whatever you want about me. You can do whatever you want as long as you are just preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Take advantage of me all you want. Preach the gospel. That's why he says in one twelve, Brethren, I don't want you to be unaware of my circumstances. He says, so because of my circumstances, my imprisonment for the gospel's sake, he says, has turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And Aristarchus and others stood by him. And listen, in 2 Timothy 1.15, we know that wasn't the case because Paul says to Timothy, again, in 2 Timothy 1.15, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. I don't know if I'm pronouncing those right. Sounds good. They deserted him. They deserted him. Times got tough. Paul's in prison, not real cool to be aligned with a, with a guy who's in prison. They bolted. Is that how we handle people? The, what Paul is saying is he had a bunch of people that, that, that exhibited sacrificial mercy. I, we, we're very good in our nature. We're very good at exhibiting, self, exhibiting selfish mercy. We're really good at giving mercy to people who can give it back. We're really good at serving people who can serve us back when time is needed. Where we struggle is sacrificial mercy. I think that's why Paul says in, in, in James 1, 26 and 7, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, visiting widows and orphans in their distress. Why? Because they had nothing to offer in return. You give it your own cost. And these are men and women who stood by Paul. They, they cared Paul, you're in prison? Hey, we're going to be right there in prison with you. Hey, Paul, you're going through something? We're going to go through it with you. 
Hey, Paul, they talk about you. Listen, I'm going to stand in front of you and they can talk about me too. The mud they sling towards you, I'm going to get dirty on your behalf. Why? Because of the gospel. Because of the body. And it should be no different than us. We ought to be burden bearers. We ought to reach out when people are sick. We ought to care when that email goes around about meals. It ought to be a joy and a privilege, and we ought to be eager. We, we ought to have too many people wanting to give sick people meals. It shouldn't, take, it shouldn't take five minutes to fill up. If, if we're going to bear people's burdens. If the gospel is going to matter. Why? And you know what? Here's the point. The neighbors see car after car after car bringing meal after meal after meal. You know what they're going to ask? Where are all their meals coming from? Here's our answer. The gospel. Conduct yourself with wisdom, says, towards outsiders. Making the most of every opportunity. Even the delivery of a meal is an opportunity to advance the gospel. And again, Paul says this in Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the entire law of Christ. Burden bearer. So I ask you, you see them on your hand now, whose burdens are you bearing right now? If I asked you to talk about ten people that you know are struggling through things right now, could you? Who are you praying for right now and and, and what they're going through, you've chosen to put yourself in their shoes and you've chosen to go through it with them. Who, who could you say right now that you're serving, that you're sticking with, that you're standing by even at your own cost? To your own cost, to your own hurt. Gospel-centered friendships. Not only is a family, not only burden bearers, gospel-centered friendships transcend all barriers that otherwise would divide us. All barriers that would divide us. You look at verses 9 through 12, I, I, I read about Onesimus. He's a slave, runaway slave. You know what? He, gets, he, he repents of his sin, he turns to Christ, and Paul says, treat him as a brother. You got Mark here. You know what Mark did? Mark abandoned Paul. Paul says, no, no, he's, he's back. Verse 11, Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your, your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends his greetings always, laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, so that we may stand perfect, fully assured of all the wisdom. Verse 14, Luke, the fellow beloved physician, Sends his greetings, verse 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nympha and the church there in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And for their part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. What, what you have there when you dig in is this. The gospel brings together people from different ethnic backgrounds. All different ethnicities. Working together. Why? One cause, the gospel. But, but it didn't just bring together people from different ethnic backgrounds. The gospel also brought together people from different social backgrounds. You had the slave, the rabbi, the doctor, the Jew, the Gentile, the, you name it. All working together. Why? The gospel. I mean, this is Colossians 3.11, outworking a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all in all. It's to our hurt today that we see people and identify people based on the color of their skin. Based upon their ethnicity. Based upon their social status. That we allow all these things to distinguish us. Those are all man-centered, man-made distinctions. I'm reading a book right now by Ben Watson. He's a tight end for the the Ravens, and he, he, the title of the book is Under Our Skin, and it's about, it's about race, and it's about relationships. And, and this guy has written, it's a phenomenal book. And it's, it's teaching about, 
about, I, I, listen, I, I, I only see things as a, as a, a, a white, middle-class man. But yet when I hang out with people who are not like me, you know what I begin to see? I begin to be sharpened because I begin to see things through different eye gates. I begin to understand what it's like to live as a, as a, as a, as a female or as an African-American person or, or this or that or that. And I need that. It, it cuts down on my, on my ethnocentricities and all the, the arrogance and all the, the, the things that are just sin-oriented in me. We need that. I mean, this, the body of Christ ought, is, a, again, today ought to be a picture of what we see in Revelation 7 where every tribe, every tongue, all, the, all of them gathered at the throne worshiping. Now, I get it, there's, there's worship styles and all that, but, but, but yet the gospel, again, the gospel exalts unity amongst diversity. The why is the gospel. You may have no other rationale or reason for hanging out or pursuing that person except the only one that matters, the gospel. They're your brother. They're your sister. We don't, we don't, again, we don't have to look the same. We don't have to walk the same. We don't have to talk the same. We don't have to dress the same. We don't have to have the same viewpoint on all our social issues outside of the gospel. And yet we're family. I mean, there's only four of us in our house and we don't agree. And really boil that down to two of us. We don't agree on everything. Let's get 250, 300 people in a room together. You know what Satan wants us to do? He wants us to make the lesser things the major things. He wants, us to, he wants to make personal convictions that we have about things, that we ought to have about things. He wants us to make those the main thing. He wants us to care more about things, again, such as gun control than we do the gospel. That's what he wants. For us to argue and fight about that instead of progressing the gospel. And allowing the gospel to work out convictions on that in all of our lives. Again, my wife and I don't agree on that issue. And yet we stay married and we walk, we don't talk about it, we're different. The gospel is what's important. And, and again, working out what, what, are, what are my convictions to be based on the gospel. Guess what? Not only do we see things differently, we're at different stages in our walk. Some of us may have thought about this for 40 years and someone may just now beginning to think about it. Be patient with one another. Be careful with one another. Some of us may have been saved and, and for 20 years another person may be saved for four months. Be, be patient. Be careful. It's our, it's our loyalty to Christ is what binds us in spite of all our differences. And so I ask the question, do your relationships, do our relationships reflect the unity that has come through the gospel? Ask this, is there diversity in your friendships? Or do all your friends look like you and pretty much think like you and pretty much act like you? Because that's, that's the norm. And I have to be careful with that because I can be very impatient with people who don't think like me and I can be real impatient with that. I, I admit it. But that's part of the gospel working out. It's, it's God's love and, and all this thing working out in me. Are, are most of your friendships made up of people who look and think and act like you? Similar socioeconomic class than you? What, what effect might that have on the gospel? What, what might we be telling about ourselves if that's the case? You know, it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul, very profound here, and I love what he says here in verses 19 to 22. Listen, listen, this was Paul's attitude. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all men. Why? so that I may win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. 
to those who are without law as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. The Reader's Digest version is the first one he's talking about Jews, and now he's talking about Gentiles, in, in a sense. To the weak, I became a weak. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I, listen, I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. There's no ethnocentrism there. There's no pride in his own race. He wasn't clinging to this or that. You go to Philippians 3, he says, For Christ's sake I've count the loss of everything as gain. Why? That I may know Christ more. And Paul left everything. I mean, he was at the top of the food chain with regards to Phariseeism, and he walked away from it. Why? For the gospel. And Paul says, I'll do whatever it takes. Obviously, within the bounds of the word, I'll do whatever it takes to advance the kingdom of God, and by all means save some. He was not willing to allow his culture to interfere with the gospel. And, and you and I, you see it in hand that we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we're not more jealous for our traditions and our cultures and our personal preferences than we are for Christ and the advancement of the gospel. I dare say we got to be more careful that we don't care more about our freedoms than the advancement of the gospel, because we in America have made an idol out of freedoms. And I think that Paul speaks to that in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, and 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and others. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but you know what he says? I'll not be mastered by anything. I'm not going to be mastered even by freedom. Why? That I'll win some. If I need to lay it down to advance the gospel, I'll lay it down. If I need to pick it up in order to win some, I'll pick it up. Do, do our relationships reflect this? Listen, Paul, and this ties in with what we see in verse 5. Conduct yourself with wisdom, making the most of opportunity. Paul used culture as an avenue for the gospel instead of a roadblock for the gospel. An avenue. He met them where they were. Jesus did that. Met them where they were. Now, he never said stay there, but he met them there. And the emphasis, you see it, it ought to be on our common. The emphasis ought to be on our common work in the gospel, not the differences that are cultural or physical or whatever. Again, he make, Paul says we are fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Partners. So not only family and not only bearing one another burdens and not only transcending barriers of, of ethnicity and race and all these other things, socioeconomic things, but gospel-centered friendships agonize, agonize, and I use that word on purpose, in prayer for one another. Look at verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, so that you may stand perfect and fully assured of the will of God. For I testify of him, for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. Even though Epaphras is far away, Paul says he was laboring earnestly. You know what the word there literally is, is? The word literally is where we get our word agonize from. Agonize. And what does Paul say was the hard work that he was agonizing over? Prayer. Prayer. Paul in, Col in Colossians 2.1, he uses the, uh, the similar, a similar athletic word. In regards to prayer, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. He goes on to talk about prayer. And he says he's working hard. 
A, 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 a gospel-centered characteristic of gospel friendships is agonizing in prayer, struggling in prayer for one another. And think about this. I thought about this. If somebody, if somebody said they, they agonized all day, and you said, what'd you do? And they said, I spent all day in prayer. Would you, what's your attitude about that? If I told you I spent three days a week praying over you, I promise you some people in here would think, don't he work? Sometimes. Gospel-centered friendships. And, and again, is, is praying time well spent on each other's behalf? Agonizing over one another in prayer? Is that time well spent? Paul says it is. And our, our attitudes, you see it there, our attitudes toward prayer flow into our devotion or neglect of prayer. But our attitudes to one, one another also affects the way we pray. I mean, I remember, well, I'll share it. So I think it was preparing for VBS. And uh, Karen's mom had taken Brad to Walmart. And uh, they had been gone um, far too long in Karen's eyes. And... Uh, Karen kept calling and calling and calling and couldn't get them to call, couldn't get an answer. And uh, she started really panicking. And the first time she called me, I was headed to lunch and had a meeting. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Then she called me a few minutes later and she was really, really stressed. And, and you got to know at that time, something had happened at the intersection of Gunn and 54. And traffic was a mess. Something major had happened down there. Traffic was all the way backed up here. And my wife's mind went to the worst. And I'm on my way to lunch, and she called me, and she's panicked, and so hurting for her, and then my mind went to the worst, and so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just, in my mind, I'm thinking something's happened. And I remember turning around and coming up 54, and traffic is backed up all the way to the Sun Coast, and I was panicked, and I mean, I'm praying and praying and praying. And I'm driving down the median. I'm driving on the right side. And I pull, I remember I pulled into that pediatric care spot. And I just started running down the 54. And I really, in my heart, I remember the first thing I said, I said, God, if, if they're there, please don't let me ever doubt your goodness. And... By God's grace, I mean, I, there was a police standing there, and he says, Sir, you can't go there. And I said, I don't care. I think my mother-in-law and my son may be down there, and I've got to get down there. And I was just running down 54. By God's grace, they weren't. But, but here's what I thought about. I agonized for about 20 minutes, like I've probably never agonized before in my life. Because two people that I love dearly, I thought they were in trouble. You know what the difference was? The difference is love. You know why I agonize like that? Because I love them. And I've noticed about my own life, I'm real good at praying deeply. When Sarah Grace fell out of a grocery cart and fractured her skull and she was bleeding on the brain and she can't keep her eyes open, and, and I'm agonizing. Why? Because I love her. And I thought about what Paul says here. When you... When we really love somebody and we really agonize in prayer over them, it's emotional, it's draining, it's exhausting to pray rightly for somebody. It is exhausting to pray rightly when you care for somebody. Not if it happens, it happens. To pray rightly. When we love each other. And, and prayer flows from seeing, but also loving people rightly. Look, they're my family, and I love them, and, 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 I, and I agonize. We got to see each other that way. So ask yourself, do you commonly pray for your friends? Do you agonize with them? 
Are you lifting up their spiritual lives? Are you praying for it as if you were praying for yourself or your, your own wife or your own kids? Are you praying for other people's kids and, and their wives and things? Are you praying for them like you're praying for your own? That's what it looks like to agonize, to be family. Are we praying like Paul says in Ephesians 1.17 about things that they would know God's will more, that they would understand the height and the depth and the breadth of God's love for them, for salvation? But, but I, I close with I, I, two more real quick. Gospel-centered friendships encourage the study of Scripture. They're friendships that center around encouraging one another with regards to the Word. Verse 16, when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. You, you have to understand in this culture, the reading and hearing of God's word was a communal thing. They didn't have, everybody didn't have Bibles of their own. They would gather to read the word together, to study the word together. These, these letters, many believe that Ephesians and some others were, were circular letters. They were passed around to many different cities and they would be read publicly and, and studied publicly. And these friendships that Paul had, they centered around the Word. And, and you see it, the early congregations of believers supported one another in the study of the Word. You look at 1 Timothy 4.13, "...until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to its preaching and to its teaching." biblical friendships are centered upon the Word of God. This is Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you in our conversations, in our relationships. Are our conversations centered on the Word? Are we encouraging people in the Word? Are we asking about their quiet times? Are we asking what they're studying? Are we asking what God's revealing to them? Are we asking about the sports and the NCAA and should athletes be paid and all that? Listen, I got opinions, but that's not central to my friendships. The Word. Word-centered. And, and you see the question there. Can you say that you encourage your friends regularly in their study of the Word? How often are your conversations with your friends centered on the Word and what God is teaching you? And, and you think about it. What, what effect does that have on the world around us? How often do you tell people, man, i got to tell you, let me tell you what God showed me in His Word today. Let me tell you what God's teaching me in the Word today. Let me tell you, let me tell you how God opened my eyes up to this passage in a, in a whole new way. Sixthly, gospel-centered friendships include forgiveness. And all throughout this passage, you'll see Mark's name. Listen, gospel-centered friendships won't always be smooth. They won't always be easy. We won't always agree. We won't always have the same idea on how to do things. And becoming a Christian doesn't deliver us from that humanness, if you will, that we still have struggles with our flesh. We make mistakes. And gospel-centered friendships are forgiving friendships. And all throughout this section, you see the pain, and all throughout Paul's life, pain, discouragement through friendships, even Mark. And yet Paul here, you know what he says? Welcome him. Welcome him. And the reality is this, much pain can come from gospel friendships, and we must be willing to work through that for the good of the gospel. My family members, the people that I love, have the greatest capacity to hurt me. You know why? Because I love them and we're close. And look, Karen, Karen knows all about Chris. If Karen wants to destroy Chris, Karen can destroy Chris. She knows where all the kinks in the armor are. She sees them every day. She deals with them every day. She, she watches every day as God is hopefully forming me more and more into His image. But in the meantime, how do we relate to one another as we're being formed, as we're being molded? Are you a forgiving person? Anyone in, anyone in the body of Christ that you're currently holding a grudge against? You're hurting the advancement of the gospel. 
Think about it, in what ways is your willingness to forgive enabling an opportunity to advance the gospel? Forgiveness. And all of this, listen to me, as we close this letter, all of this goes back to the supremacy of Christ, the unrivaled nature of Christ. The why behind all of this is Christ. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. That Christ would be seen as supreme and unrivaled, even in our friendships. I pray that as we close Colossians and move on to something else, that we would not forget that Christ would be our all in all, even in our friendships.